Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And uh, once again, I trust that you have been tuning in every week to uh, follow the line of thought that we've been doing. It's really difficult sometimes when you do a weekly program uh, to kind of remember some of the things maybe we've shared in prior segments. So for your convenience, uh, you, can, uh, you can go subscribe to our YouTube page and uh, watch us at any given time. Everything we've aired to date is archived. You can also get a uh, app for your smart television or your smartphone or your iPad. Uh, from, uh, you can go download the free TBN app and you will get all 10 of TBN's channels and you can go back and watch us. I think they hold the programs archived there for a couple of weeks. You can go back and see uh, things that we've shared in prior segments. Uh, I encourage you to share them with your friends. I encourage you to share them on your Facebook page. I encourage you to share them in your Wednesday night service, in your ministry. A lot of times people are looking for material to share, uh, you know, midweek, and you can literally pull it right down off of YouTube and view it in a uh, church service anywhere you've got an internet connection. Literally around the world, people are tuning in to our program thanking us for bringing the gospel that we bring. We may not be exactly the same as everybody else, but like we shared in the last one, God has got, you know, so many facets. He has manifold, many folds to Him. And so we simply want to preach the part of the gospel God's given to us and uh, let the rest of the body of Christ do that. The last two weeks I've had on the set with me my oldest son, Jeremy. He is with me again uh, today, and he will be sharing with us again. Uh, he pastors a great church in the Winchester, Virginia area. You can go to their website and there will be information on the screen about him where you can see their service times and go join them in a service. If you're in Northern Virginia, especially around the Winchester, Virginia area, you owe it to yourself to go by and be in one of their uh, Monday night services. He's been teaching on the book of Revelation now for several weeks, as uh, even probably months, and uh, uh, our series on the book of Revelation is probably our number one requested set of material as well as our book on Revelation. So there's a lot of resources that we have available on it because we're teaching it from a totally different perspective in the sense that we're teaching it as a revelation of Jesus Christ. Why not preach Jesus from a book? that's titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it's really about His redemptive work rather than it is about coming catastrophes. And we've already set this up over a period of time. I don't want to do a lot by way of review. But really this book of Revelation was primarily first of all written to seven churches that were really in Asia during the first century. And these people were in a transition from an old covenant to a new covenant. And when you could get that in your mindset, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we forget that it was written to a Jewish audience who were about to transition from an old covenant form of government to a kingdom form of government, new covenant being the constitution of the kingdom, and grace and faith being the currency that makes that operate. But I'm going to go back today because we want to talk about a little bit more. Last week was a powerful uh, week where we dealt with uh, the error of Balaam. But I'm going to read the text again, then we're going to get, jump back into this and, and uh, probably have at least one more segment on the church at Pergamos. But it says, at verse 12, And to the angel of the church at Pergamos, these things saith he that has a sharp two-edged sword in his hand. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, thou holdest, and that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith even in those days uh, wherein Antipas was a faithful Martin, martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine uh, 
of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and commit fornication, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate? Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. Now, I wanted to begin to share with you again because the church at Pergamos is a church that the name literally means mixture or mixed marriage. We've already dealt with two full programs on this. But what we showed you in Romans 7 is the mixed marriage is when you've got two covenants and you're trying to operate in two covenants. Romans 7 says that if you uh, uh, know the law, uh, that, you, that the, the, the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he's alive. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband so that she's free to be married to another man. And then verse 4 tells you who the another man is that we should be married to. And she says that even that we should be married to him who has been raised from the dead. Romans 7 verse 4 says that we should be married to another even to him who's raised from the dead. So we know, Jeremy, that the uh, second husband is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. And uh, what we begin to realize is that the law keeps us bound to the first husband, Adam, because from God's viewpoint there's only ever been two men in the earth. The first man was of the earth earthy, and the second man was the Lord from heaven. The first and the second man. You are either in one man or you are in the other. You cannot be in both. You are either in Christ or in Adam. Mm -hmm. And so what we begin to realize is that if we are married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, Jesus must know something about the death of our first husband, or he would have never married us. Because if we are married to Christ, and Adam is still alive, our first husband, then Jesus and us becomes adulterers. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we keep this mixture of law and grace. See, the old covenant was written to get an old man to behave. Mm -hmm. The new covenant was to develop and mature a new man. And it is literally our marriage certificate. We are married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. So that we are not, you know, one of the things that's being dealt with here, even in the Nicolaitan doctrine, the Nicolaitan doctrine, you and I were talking a little bit when we were off camera, but you'll come back and be able to share some of this, but was was a mixture of uh, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of immorality and, and uh, of, of fornication. One of the things I was thinking while we were off camera as well, is that the fornication is simply uh, uh, intimate relationship outside of covenant. Yeah. And so covenant is a very powerful thing. You and I are in a new covenant mm -hmm. in Christ. And because of that, uh, we're not fornicators. Yeah. You know, the people rose up to commit fornication. But one of the things that was there was this whole doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But one of the things I want to come back and emphasize too is we talked about the error of Balaam. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and, and, and what, we, what we saw was that Balaam was a prophet who was hired to curse people who aren't under a curse. I think one of the tragedies right now is it seems to be sometimes some of the most thriving ministries seem to be those who will use the law and try to put God's people under a curse to try to either get them to give or to manipulate them or to control them uh, through the fear and, and power of trying to put them under a curse. Yeah. But as you shared last week so powerfully, uh, when Balaam got up to curse the people, he saw them especially, and I'm cutting through a lot of things you said last week, but when he got on the third, the third time he looked at them, the third dimension, when he saw them from the third dimension, if I could say it like this, which that could be death, burial, resurrection, a lot of stuff could be yep. said there. Yep. 
But when he got up on the high mountain, and he, sa he said, but when I beheld Israel in her tents, when Israel was in her tents, she was camped in the shape of a cross, three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west, and the tabernacle with its furniture arranged in the shape of the cross. When he saw Israel at rest, because the only way you could rest is when you're camped in the cross. Yep. When you're cramped with your face, and they, would not, they didn't face outward. They camped with their faces towards uh, the tabernacle of Moses. And when Balaam stood up that time to curse the people of God who were camped in the cross, he reared back and instead of cursing them, he said, if God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? And he began to prophesy blessing on him. That's why I feel the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But that's what I want to declare over God's people right now is favor and blessing. If you're in the cross and you are standing firm in this finished work, powerfully in this, this chapter he comes to these people, said so the one with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and he's fighting against all of these errors with the sword of his mouth. So the sword of his mouth is Hebrews 4 verse 12, and it's the Word of God that's quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, but it's the Word that flows from rest. And that's the Word that frees us from the tyranny of the threat of prophets who are hired to curse people who are not under a curse. See, you're in the New Covenant, and in the New Covenant you are not up under any curse, any shape, fashion, or form. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law because Jesus hung on a cross, and cursed is He who hangs on a cross. And I'm telling you, He took that curse. We're not under a generational curse. We're not under the curses of, of, of law. We're not under the curses of old. We're not under the curse. Yeah. We're not under the Adamic curse. We are in Christ, and in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. It's interesting to me that in Deuteronomy chapter 27, when he reads the curses, he'll say, and the people, they would read the, the they said, the, you know, cursed is the man who moves another man's boundaries. And the people with one voice would say, amen. And then he would say, cursed is he who doesn't take care of his father. And the people with one voice would say, amen. He would go and say, cursed is somebody that does this. And the people with one voice would say, amen. And as I read that in Deuteronomy chapter 27, they said, amen, after every curse, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. But chapter 28 comes in, and he starts declaring the blessing. He said, I'm I'm going to bless you the city. I'm going to bless you the field. I'm going to bless your kids. I'm going to bless your cows. I'm going to bless you coming in. I'm going to bless you going out. And not one time <laughs> do the people with one voice say amen. And that kind of got me because I thought, you know, here we are. We sit at church a lot of times and we never say amen to the blessing. We always say amen. When somebody preaches, well, we're going to bust hell wide open. You in trouble. God going to kill you. You know, burn, you know. And we <laughs> preach the curse. People just sit there and shout you down. Yep. But the truth of it is, is in the new covenant, I got a hold. I got to thinking, how come nobody ever said amen? You know, because they never could seem to get to the blessing side of it. Yep. But Revelation, of course I'm jumping ahead here to one of the other churches and I don't want to do that, but he says I am, Jesus says this, I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning of the creation of God. What Jesus is saying is I am the final amen to any curse that you had coming. I'm the amen. I took everything you had coming. I said, so be it. Let it come on me so that now I'm the faithful witness and I'm the beginning of a brand new creation of God so that in the new covenant, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes. And somebody out there listening to me ought to say amen because all God is waiting on is somebody to say the amen to the blessing of God instead of the curse of God. And so these people have been uh, used to control, you know, and I think uh, the Nicolaitan idea is also not only that, that dealt with perversion and, and extremism in liberties. We want to cover that as well. But also it spoke of uh, Nico, which means to dominate, and laity, which is a word we translate into laity. So it speaks of a dominating laity, 
or a laity that's been dominated. I heard somebody say, well, you know, Brother Howes, you, uh, the Greek reads backwards, so it's not, uh, it's not a uh, dominating laity, it's a laity that's been dominated, or, uh, you know, or, you know, either way. But see, what I begin to hear in my spirit is, either side of it's wrong. Yep. It, it, we, you know, ministry that dominates laity, or laity that dominates people, because God gave us dominion, but He didn't give us dominion yeah. to dominate people. He gave us dominion over fish, fowl, creeping things, and all of the other things. Yep. And so, you know, I want you to jump in there because I really believe we're dealing with some thoughts here that are, are helping us to make a transition from this over heavy handed government and authority. That, and I believe in authority, but authority can be dominating the people, or you can have boards and, and, and people that vote in and vote out pastors as quick as we, you know, I mean, in other words, it's a dominating laity, and neither one of them is right. It's a reciprocal flow of the life of God and an understanding of how things function mm-hmm. and operate in the kingdom. You know, and e- either way you look at it, we're, uh, Adam, he tried to take dominion yeah. rather than have dominion. Yeah. Uh, you know, even as you look at Balaam who tried to curse the people that wasn't under a curse, uh, if you're trying to curse people that's not under the curse, that's still a domination. You're still yeah. trying to dom- there's still manipulate. A dom- yeah, there's yeah. a domination that's yeah. taking place. That that's not where Jesus doesn't flow like that. Jesus mm-hmm. doesn't dominate over people. He loves people. Yeah. When when uh, when people are loved, they're more ap- they're more apt to want to uh, do things. From a place that uh, you know, when if, in other words, they'll submit if they're not dominant. Yeah, in other words, uh, you know, if somebody told, me, uh, I don't know if it's just uh, you know my hard-headedness sometimes, but somebody tells me, you better do this. I, for some reason, when somebody tells me I better do something, I, I'm not going to do it. But whenever it comes, but whenever there's times where if I know with my wife, if I do this without her asking, without her telling me. I'm, I know that there are things that she likes, and I do those things because I, I love well, that's her. That's it. What happens there's there's response on both sides of it that causes everything to be so much better. Yeah. You know what we sometimes forget is this book of Reve- this book of Revelation wasn't broken up into chapters. This was one continual letter from chapter one to twenty one. Yep. It was one continual letter that was written to these seven yep. churches. So the whole thing is to these seven churches. It doesn't stop in chapter three, and he goes on to something else. You know, like he just wrote to these. Here's this letter to seven churches, but here's something else as an addendum to it. This whole this whole book is a letter that was written to these seven churches. Uh, and why that's important is I heard uh, a man by the name of Gary Garner talk about. Uh, he was when he was talking about a woman who uh, needed to see her her husband is dead, and 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 that she was married to another. Uh, he talked about Mary, who saw Jesus in every aspect of his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. She, she saw him when he was taken. She saw him uh, when he was beaten. She saw him in his crucifixion. She saw him at his death, and she was there at his resurrection. She was the first one <coughs> to speak to the resurrected Jesus. And, and he began to talk about that as a woman changing her mind. She had to see her first husband as dead so that she could be free to be married to another. If somebody would just come along and said, you know, you're, you're old, you know, here's, you got to think. Adam was a dominating husband yeah. who mistreated us, who beat us, who conveyed uh, death on the whole human family. Yeah, basically. brought brought us into something that was far lower than what we was ever meant to be in. Uh, if somebody just came and told you, now listen, you, there was a fear, and even in, we know this, we know this fear from churches because this is the fear we've been taught. There was a fear of our marriage to Adam. We yeah. feared Adam. Yeah. And so, if somebody just came along and told you, your husband Adam is dead. Your first thought is not to, oh, happy day, let's move on. There's still that fear that lies within us that I don't know if I can believe this 
it's too good to be true mm -hmm. that Adam is dead and that I'm free to marry another. Mm -hmm. Until you see the body and have closure, you see that thing buried, you've seen it die, and you've, you, you know, until you've had that closure, you can't move on. Yeah. And so I believe that, you know, when Jesus says to this church, and he begins to talk about this dominating mixed marriage of law and grace, and he says to them, repent. Our thoughts in church is that, yes, we need to change our mind. And so every day we get in there and we need to repent. We need to repent of all these, mis you know, all this misdoctrines. We need to repent of our whole lifestyle in Adam. We need to, it, it, but, into, but we don't know how to do that. The problem is we don't know how to do that. A, a simple word doesn't show us how to change our mind about it. And so the importance of that is that Jesus wrote the rest, or the Spirit wrote the rest of this book to show us the death of our husband. Yeah. That the rest of this book is going to go and show you the true death yeah. of what Adam went through. That when I, I believe all, that's why we even have water baptism. It's like having a funeral for somebody. We get closure yeah. by going to the funeral. Absolutely. We get closure by seeing how he died, by going through uh, the events that brought up to that, just like we do when we talk about the events of de the yeah. death of Christ, it gives us closure. Well, when I when I asked Christ into my life, that was an identification of the death of mm -hmm. Adam. I, I believe that whenever I, I I I gave my life to Christ and accepted Him in my heart, I ceased being an Adam and I got into Christ. Uh, I believe that I became a brand new creature. Uh, that was really the death of Adam. Now, did I get up from that altar and know exactly how to operate as a as the bride of Christ or as a son of God? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Because there's still some things in the back of my mind that thinks it's still connected to that yep. old husband Adam. And so I didn't leave that altar. Now when I left that altar, I felt clean, I felt alive, I felt forgiven, I felt like a brand new creature, but I didn't leave there knowing how to live as a brand new creature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was other steps that I took. I got when I got baptized. To me, I, I got you know I got baptized a couple times because of greater revelation that came to me. Now I don't think that one baptism was greater than another. Yeah. It was just the, the 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 greater revelation I got of it. I wanted to do it again as, because when I realized that uh, you know when I was you know eight, I got baptized, I believe, and I didn't know what that meant. I just know people were getting you know were going into the water and coming back out, and that seemed like the thing we did, you know. And, uh, and I believe that that baptism at eight years old, God absolutely recognized it, and, and it was just as good as when I got baptized when I was 21. Well, but when I got baptized when I was 21, I realized that going down into the waters of baptism was a symbol of the burial of my old man, Adam. Yeah. And what came up out of those waters of baptism was a brand new creation. Adam was left in those burials. Yeah. And what came out was not connected to Adam at all. It was yeah. a brand new creation. I, so when I did it again, I, I, it wasn't that it was any more in God's eyes. It was more in my eyes because of the understanding I had of the burial, that we were buried with Him in baptism. Uh, and, and when I left there at 21, there was a greater change in me than when I was eight years old. Like I said, God didn't recognize it anymore, but I did because I recognized, man, if my old man truly is buried, then I, was, I, I started recognizing things like Paul did. How are we that are dead to sin? How can we live in it any longer? How can I still identify yeah. with that old nature? How can I still identify with that old yeah. husband? Because I've been, I've been brought out a whole new, he's buried. I started, uh, you know, I, I was able to have some closure yeah. with Adam because I started seeing, man, this thing really is buried. Yeah. So I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about that if I start giving myself to Christ, if I start really having some intimate relationship with Christ, I'm not going to turn around and get smacked in the mouth by Adam. 
Yeah. I'm not going to have to worry. Is he hanging? Is he hiding behind a dark corner somewhere waiting to get me again? I really saw him and handled him as dead, and I knew he wasn't coming back. And from that moment on, I was able to really give myself to Christ. I was really (laughs) able to start having an intimate relationship with Christ. And I believe when God begins to speak to this church of Pergamos, and he begins to talk to them about all the things that are going on, but he says, I want you to repent from it. I believe what he didn't, he didn't just leave them in a state of, here's what's wrong with you and change your mind about it, but doesn't give them how to change. Yeah. I believe he writes the rest of this book and shows them, here's how you change yeah. by recognizing your old man, Adam is dead. Yeah. He ain't coming back. I, I, he is absolutely and utterly destroyed. That whole creation, that old heaven, that old earth has passed away. You know, when you see something that's passed away, it meant, you know, that's something you say when somebody's dead. Yeah, Some, yeah. You know, <laughs> what happened to away. grandma? He passed, she passed away, you know? Well, what, it, what he begins to say is that the old heaven, the old earth, it's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I saw a new heaven, new earth, and behold, I make all things new. But the only way you're ever going to see a whole new thing is you have to first see the old thing has passed away and identify it and have closure to it. And so when he begins to write to this church and say, repent, he doesn't just leave them in a state of saying, you need to to repent, you need to change your mind, but doesn't tell them how to do it. He gives them the rest of this book and says, but here's how you do it. You recognize that your old husband is dead. You go to, you realize that I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, that's the death of your old man. Yep. That you were buried with him in baptism. And that just like Christ was raised, you were raised with him and now seated yeah. with him in heavenly places. So it begins to show you that you're not married to Adam. He's not coming back. No. You're not having to fear that old marriage any longer, but that you become seated with yeah. Christ. In other words, you, you're in a brand new marriage and you can fully give yourself to Christ. And he can fully give himself to you and begin to live his life both in you and through you to bring forth who he is yeah. in you. And you know, while uh, some of our accusers, of course, say that when you preach grace, it gives people a license to sin, this is an aspect of it that they need to hear. Because like you said, there's, there's people are at different levels of the message. But what happens to you after you're in the message for a little while is it da- what day it dawns on you. How can we who, are, who aren't dead to sin live any longer in it? In other words, one of the things you realize also is that I'm not simply free from law. I, I am free from law, and I'm, but I'm also free from the man that law was written to, which is Adam. And, uh, you know, what happens is one morning you throw your feet on, over, out of the bed and hit the floor and say, how could we who are dead to sin live? In other words, my life changes because of a revelation that that's not who I am any longer. You know, even for me uh, in grace is that, uh, you know, people think when you preach grace you're looking for an excuse to sin. I never need an excuse to sin. Yeah. Uh, it happened within me, and every time I sinned, I died. Yeah. What I'm looking for is a hope of life. Yeah. Uh, what grace does is bring me to that hope of yes, life. Yes, it does. Uh, it, it really doesn't give me an yeah. excuse to sin any longer. It brings me to the life of Christ. Like I said, I, I didn't need an excuse, and every time I sinned, it brought death to yeah. me. It, it, it brought something of, of a, man, I, that's not who I am. That's yeah. not the truth of who I am. But what grace did for me is it began to empower me to say, every time that I did sin, it would remind me, but that's not who you are. No. Yeah. You are you are a new creation in Christ. You are a son of God. And it brought me up out of that place to begin to say, forgetting those things which are behind. Yeah, you messed up, but I'm going to forget those things that are behind. And I begin to press on towards the mark yeah. of the high calling. I begin to remind it that grace brings me into life. It doesn't bring yep. me to death. And you know, I want to say to you, you mentioned there, uh, you know, a good friend of ours, Pastor Gary Garner, who has since passed on to be with the Lord. 
his son Lynn pastors a great church called Ascension Life in Danville, uh, Arkansas, and preaches the message there. But Gary was one of the greatest prolific teachers of finished work of uh, anybody I ever heard. And uh, his emphasis was always on the death side of the cross. And he had one of the greatest revelations. He'd say things like this, Jesus did not die, so you didn't have to. He died because you had to. Yep. Uh, he got back, he didn't, he didn't die to give you life. He got back up from the dead to give you life. But what we fail to realize is we, we got to preach every aspect of yep. it. The death of Christ was not just the death of one man. It was the death of all men. But that means absolutely nothing if you don't get a revelation of that and identify with it. Yep. You know, in other words, if you don't realize, you know, his death was my death. Uh, His death was to give me a death Mm -hmm. so that I could get out of who I was in Adam and become alive in who I am in Christ. And so, you know, as we, as we feed on that kind of thing, we begin to move. Listen, you know, in other words, that's this sword flown out of the mouth of the one who appears to this church. The sword is flown from rest is releasing them. That's what he's, he's fighting against them with the sword of his mouth, which is not a bad thing. Nope. I mean, he's still fighting against a whole lot of the pollution with the sword of his mouth because the word that flows from rest really begins to let you realize, I'm not in Adam anymore. And so the identification with that begins to release me into a brand new identity. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the promise to this church, which he says to them, and I just introduced it here this week and just give you a teaser so you tune in again Mm -hmm. next week. But uh, he says to this church, I'll give you a white stone and a new name. Well, the new name, of course, is the new nature and who you are in Christ. So you're not called by an old name, you're called by a new name. And the white stone was the stone of acquittal in the breastplate of the high priest that if you got the white stone, you were declared not guilty. It was also the stone that was used uh, to uh, identify the lineage when the, and and we'll, we'll deal with this probably in the next segment, but in the book of Ezra, when they came up out of Babylonian captivity, which pictures religious confusion, he said that they could not eat of the most holy things until there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim, which was the white and black stone, until there stood up a priest, and the word Urim and Thummim means lights, and perfection, he said another way, until there stands up a priest who's got some light on perfection, you won't be able to feed on the most holy things. We're going to talk about that in the next segment, man. You don't want to miss it. Uh, we've only got a few moments left, but I, just take a moment to uh, call the number on the screen, go to our website, uh, check out some of the products that we have. Come see us in one of our meetings. We travel all the time. Our itinerary is listed, listed literally there on the website, and uh, you can uh, go there and see where we're going to be. We'd love to see you somewhere. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. If you'd like to partner with us, we need your help. Take the gospel around the world, and thank you for being a part of that. God bless you. Tune in again next week. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.